Hi, James. Dan, how are you? Uh, not very good. Why not? Because I'm nervous about this podcast. Oh, my gosh. I Hang on. Hang on. Before you start, like, getting in a little jab before we've even begun. I mean, that wasn't a jab. I am nervous. You're, 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 like, trying to put me on the back foot and we haven't even started. <laughs> and I what I need to be doing is making you feel guilty for flying over the Atlantic Ocean and forgetting your microphone last week. Well, I didn't fly over the Atlantic Ocean because uh, um, that would be a very long trip. Oh, my gosh. You uh, went the other way, of course. Yes, yeah, sorry. Sorry about last week. I forgot a mic. And it, I, because I, I was in Europe and the time zones were actually much more difficult from there anyway. I'm not sure mm. if we could have even pulled it off, but it, then it was a moot point once I forgot my mic. Sorry for last week. And needless to say, uh, feel compelled to talk about what we would have talked about last <laughs> week, which is this whole Facebook brouhaha. So when you said I was going to shout at you for forgetting your mic, what you really meant, at, meant was I was going to shout at you because we're talking about Facebook. So we've had a, uh, <laughs> we've had an ongoing uh, difference of opinion that I suspect is going to continue about Facebook and, and uh, censorship and, and, and mm. tilting the news and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So uh, just just to quickly recap, and I actually think that, and I know everyone is familiar with this story at this point, but I think it's one of those things where everyone is familiar with the story to the point where they're actually missing what's actually happening in the story. It's just this Facebook tilts the news. So to, to start out, there was a story uh, in Gizmodo with, at the beginning of May about the Facebook news team and these brutal working conditions. And in that piece, they actually said uh, pretty straightforward that they don't believe that there is any uh, overt editorializing or whatever. And so a week later, they, they Gizmodo had a second piece. Again, this is a second piece that basically disputed that point where it says, former Facebook workers, colon, we routinely suppress conservative news. Right off the bat, the headline was, factually wrong because it was not workers. It was one worker who asserted this Mm. and every single other person on the team disagreed with it. And, uh, you know, for so many face managers, all sorts of thing. Anyhow, the reason I'm I'm just put, I think it's, I think this is an important fact of the case because the, I, I think this, I like this entire thing has spun up off of one person and I just think that that that's that's a relevant point. Like like, and it's not just one person; it's like one product. It's that little trending news thing. Off well, on no, the no, side. but it's one it's one person on 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 one product yeah. on a trend on the other side. And and again, like so so, just before we get into debating the the issues of it, I th- this whole uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So I, I've I've talked about on this podcast that uh, I you know I grew up. I grew up, you know, in a, you know, conservative household to say the least, uh, in an conservative environment, you know, went to, to, to private schools and, uh, you know, Christian schools. And it was like very much in, it's like, it's another world. It really is another world. And like, there's a reality that's kind of drilled into you. And one is this, a, a huge one for sure is this idea that the media is against you and everyone hates Christians. And I mean, it, it, it's, it's really kind of bizarre once you're outside of it, you know, but, especially given the prominent place that anyone from a Christian background, the, the privilege you get in American society generally, but they really like, there really is a belief that the whole world is against us and, and everyone's picking on us and we have to stick together, blah, 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 blah. And, and given that, 
uh, you're like primed to see bias everywhere. Like everything is against you. Everything, blah, blah, blah. And that's where the, the sort of, you know, the famous saying on the left came from that facts have a liberal bias. But but it, it, it was a reaction against – was very much a thing on the right. And again, I'm not saying that there may or may not have been bias in mainstream news and, and maybe there were seeds of that that were justified. All I'm saying is by the time I was a kid in the 80s, like this was a – I can't overstate. Like it was like a, a brainwashing almost that you believed absolutely that – all mainstream media sources were unfair, were biased, were hated Christians, and and like it, it it was really kind of amazing. And and so when Fox News came along and the web came along, and you got all these new websites, like they were like people really do think that Fox is balanced. Like people on the right really do think that they are telling it straight, and everyone else is biased. Like I, I'm telling you that that's people. That's how people actually do think. Yeah, I, I mean, I I can believe that. It's, I um, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting how these mechanisms spring up inside of groups, and uh, I, I I feel like there's almost an element. This is a cultural artifact that's evolved over time, where one way of bringing a group closer together is actually to make it feel like the rest of the world is against them. Now, I'm not saying people were um, people were necessarily doing it for exactly that reason, but it does create a very strong bond when it feels like it's you against the rest of the world. Oh, for sure. I think there was certainly certainly an aspect of, of that. And again, the whole reason I bring this up is not – I don't want to get into the the veracity of, of these claims or, or – or, it, it, you know, people who who still believe that, like that's fine. I'm not going to argue with with you here. The reason I bring it up, though, is it is very easy for me. And again, I, again, I, I hate to get bring too much of my personal experience into this, but it is very easy for me to imagine being uh, had I not kind of gone through the you know kind of transformation of my assumptions and the way I view the world that, that I have. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that has changed about me from being a young person is not that I've gone from right to left or, or, or Christian to agnostic or whatever. It's that I've gone from black and white to a, to a place where I see the world as many shades of gray. And that's certainly something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And just there's so much context to, to everything. And, and again, I'm not saying that everything is necessarily relativistic. I mean, this isn't a debate about philosophy and <laughs> And all that sort of stuff, but in general, at least when it comes to things like business or or Facebook or or the news, like there's, it's very rarely our explanations just very simple. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. Like if there's a single thing that strategy is about, it's about getting into the nuance and that things are not straightforward and black, as black and white as they appear to be. And anyhow, so the reason you know that that, that as an aside, I could see a young me a black and white me, a a more fundamentalist me having a job like this and being convinced that my coworkers are showing bias and going to Gizmodo and complaining about it and being completely wrong. Like again, I have no idea what did or did not happen. I just when it comes to the facts of the case it bothers me there's only one person. It bothers me every other person on the team disagreed with him. And just given my background, I I, I would like to see more evidence than one person complaining to Gizmodo. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I, I for what it's worth, I, I completely agree with you about this. Like I, I am really happy that the debate is starting to be had. I am, uh, I am disappointed that this is the context in which the debate is being had because I think everything you've just said is exactly right. So the second thing I would say, though, on the flip side is bias is real. Bias exists. And, and, and one thing, you know, they said in the Gizmodo thing, they're basically hiring a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of Ivy League grads with humanities degrees. I mean, like, <laughs> not to stereotype, but I mean, you could certainly imagine a very uniformity in worldview that that would come from that. And so, well, I have an exceptionally difficult time believing that there is uh a, a overt bias on the flip side, it would be just as unrealistic to say that there, that there wouldn't be a bias. Oh, totally. There's actually something on this point that recently came out in the New York times written by Nick Kristoff. And it kind of got, I mean, maybe it was designed to, it kind of got a little bit under my skin, but it was called the confession of liberal intolerance. And it's talking about how progressives believe in a lot of principles like diversity and so on. Uh, but when it comes to diversity of thought and particularly conservative thought, it's really hard to find folks like that in academia and uh, and in these Ivy League institutions. And uh, if you're hiring with a with a, a a large bias towards these institutions, then yeah, th- those biases will start to creep in as a result of your hiring practices. Yeah, well, I mean, this is where it gets really fuzzy. And again, I, this is a word we're kind of in a very uh, dodgy territory, I would say, for for our, our usual subject matter. But because I mean, to what extent is it a bias, or to what extent is it that people self-select in certain directions? Mm-hmm. Like, our uh, what to what extent is it? I mean, like for this <laughs> Facebook, like so for the for the Facebook stuff, for example. I mean, I mentioned the rise of all these alternative news sites and things like that. Well. Like Facebook is the reason there is like birther stories, right? Facebook is the reason why there, you get all these – like now there's there, – I just saw a story yesterday about there's all, there's all these sto- like uh, hoax stories about transgender people doing stuff in bathrooms, none of which are true, but they're spreading like wildfire on Facebook. Like the fact of the matter is that the web and Facebook have done more for non-mainstream or non-quote-unquote or mainstream media – news than anything else like they're far more widespread and, and and available than ever before and you get in let's take the birth i think the, i think the birth of things is a great example like oh i'm curious if this person on this team was objecting to the exclusion of news sources that believed that obama was not born in the united states mm. like is that is that a liberal bias or is that a facts bias and Again, like the, I suspect the reality of, and I, I don't know. I, 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 and Gizmodo being Gizmodo got the flashy headline and didn't get enough into the details. Like I would like to know, was it because like the, the Breitbart conspiracy was was not allowed to be a, a, a news source? There's lots of just getting again. We're starting with the very specific of the case, and then we'll back out into the kind of the, the broader mm. debate. But the, the specifics of this case really kind of they. Concern me, we'll say, and not in the concern that I'm concerned about Facebook censoring the news. I'm concerned about how this is being reported and what actually happened or didn't happen. Yep, can't argue. All right, well, we're off to a good start. We're, we're, we can't argue. So, so to back up one level, per our 
previous discussions, I think the most recent Facebook uh, discussion that we had, I actually think that this validates the point I made in, in the voters decide, which we talked about in the podcast after that, which is that Facebook is heavily, heavily incentivized to never do this sort of thing. And I think you're seeing one, like the amount of blowback they're getting because of an, again, an allegation and two, the, like the way, like they're bending over backwards in my mind, kind of overdoing it, uh, to, to mollify, you know, people, you know, conservatives. And I think that's just powerful evidence. Like the, the, what I said in the voters side is yes, Facebook has this incredibly, incredibly powerful position, but they are heavily incentivized to never actually leverage it, to never actually use it. And I think this is a great example of exactly what I was talking about because it's not worth it. It, it, it simply is not worth what they're going through right now, which again, I, whether it was implicit or whatever or not, it, it, it's just a great demonstration of, what what happens if if you get found out? You know what I w- I would agree with this, and I would agree that um, from a strictly rational perspective, their incentive is not to do it. Um, I think my concern has never stemmed around the incentives from a business perspective of whether they were that it, it makes sense for them or not to do it. My concern is always stem more from the capability for them to behave in some other way. Like they have a capability, right? Like, like their incentive right now is to, is to use algorithmic decisions on what to display on the news. And that causes, that has caused more of a polarization uh, that has caused more of a polarization as a result. And I think you made a really good point in one of your articles about how like algorithmic, the algorithmic nature of, uh, the way that Facebook presents the news is actually more damaging than any alleged um, bias that's happening inside their trending news team. I, 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 it's it's not. It's the capability fundamentally that worries me. It's the concentration of power. Now, in in the last generation of, in the last generation of of people who provided the news, like it. it Rupert Murdoch is someone that I would point to as as somebody who made a phenomenal amount of money making newspapers. But he he like to like right now or recently, a lot of those newspapers haven't been making money. Like he and yet he continues to operate them because like one of the things that he enjoys most, he's talked about, is engaging with editors around what should be news, what should be said, who should be getting in power, who should be getting out of power. And and Zuckerberg um, has started to has started to talk. Well, he's they, 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 Facebook, for example, have the board has started to institute a policy whereby he gets all these um, voting shares, even as he divests the rest of his shares, so he can donate it to charity. And it it strikes me that as people like that start to make insane amounts of money. Like they are focused less ab- ab- about the typical incentives that um, that that the rest of us mere mortals in business are worried about, and they start getting motivated about other things. And he's talking about charity. He's talking about things other than making money. He's talking about giving away money. And I wonder whether, with all that control, he could decide that adjusting the algorithm in some way to promote or detract or hide something is a possibility. Now, I, I'm not sure he will, 
Maybe he will, maybe he won't. What scares me is that they have an audience of 1.6 billion people and and it's a possibility. I agree with you about the, the Zuckerberg share thing. We can talk about that separately. Um, I, I just, I don't like it in general. That said, the incentives of Zuckerberg and the incentives of uh, uh, are not just to make money. And I think the incentive for Facebook here is not that it will hurt their income, although that would be part of it in the long run if people stop trusting the platform or going on the platform. It's it's like they, they really believe in it being a platform for sharing and for expressing yourself. And to do this would work would, is, is absolutely in opposition to that. Like what you're proposing is not just against Facebook's business interests, but it's against like their mission. It's against everything they've stated, everything they're about as a company. And, and just, just to say that because something is theoretically possible, it's ipso facto a bad thing. I, I, I mean, there's lots of things in the world that are theoretically possible, but if we can't think about and depend on incentives and to not do the wrong thing, then we can't function as a society. Like we drive, we drive huge hunks of metal extremely fast at each other every single day. But we believe that because someone painted some lines on the road that are totally meaningless and can't do anything to stop one from crossing over that that's going to work. And it does work because we believe that like the incentives of people driving the cars around us are to operate according to, you know, the, the rules of the road. And yes, Every now and then, like someone violates that, and you know, the fact that that's possible is certainly problematic. And we can, make, I don't think we're about cars and transportation today, but the, the general idea that we do dangerous things, dangerous situations happen all the time, and we trust on incentives and people doing what is in their self interest to manage it. And frankly, you know, it's one of those things where there's lots of bad systems. Let's choose the least bad. From an economic perspective, we I think both of us are on the same page that an economic perspective that that leverages people's self-interest to the benefit of people broadly is better than a central controlled planning system. And I think that very much applies here. The other thing is this idea that like Zuckerberg like sneaking into the back room Mission Impossible style and twerking with the uh not twerking, not tweaking with the uh the algorithm. Like I that's a little unfair of a characterization. Well, it's what you said. Like, but I, I don't think but, but but no, my point is Zuckerberg doesn't decide this on his own. He doesn't even code anymore. Like he like so it's not just the cultural thing of Zuckerberg himself. It's that he's going to have to convince people to do it. He's going to convince people that what he has sold them on is the mission for Facebook and how they're changing the world and the impact they're doing and their belief system and everything and their stock options and and all those sorts of things. It, like he's going to have to get buy-in from people in Facebook. And that just magnifies the point I made before about, about incentives. Again, is it theoretically possible for Facebook to tweak the and I'll, oh, by the way, we've moved on to the algorithm now, away from the trending topics, yeah, which totally. is off the side. We should we we should come back to that. I think there's a couple interesting points to make there. Mm. But but that that this is going to happen again. Is it theoretically possible? Yes, and I have always granted that it's theoretically possible. My point is, there's so many reasons to believe that it would never happen, at least explicitly or with any sort of directed intent. That and we can have a discussion about 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 implicit bias for sure, but that it would ever happen explicitly is just it's 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 so extreme as to be. There's lots of other things to worry about. Is I guess is the way I would put it. 
going on from that, there are a couple of other points that I thought that you made that were really interesting. And it was uh, the the quote unquote, just because it's possible, it's ipso facto bad. And, and you pointed out that, you know, like we drive around in cars and, you know, that there are occasionally bad actors. I, I think when it comes to regulation, it's not just a question of possibility. It's also a question of impact. And I like when I think about this space and how fundamental it is to the nature of democracy, I wouldn't be pointing at regulating traffic. I would instead be thinking more around uh, the deep the deep water spill that happened in the Gulf of Mexico. Like it is predictable that if you don't put in uh, if you don't put in strong safety standards and big big penalties for players when they do something really bad that they're going to skip on these things and then it's only when a really bad accident happens that you come along and you realize that the the liability limits of 10 million dollars that that um, folks have put in place around there to encourage drilling were actually a really bad idea and you actually wanted more regulation I accept that there are lots of things that are possible and just because it's possible you shouldn't regulate it I think the the overlay on top of that that I would put is that the impact, the impact that this would have, and given the importance of news, uh, given how important it is for a society to be well-informed, for a well-functioning democracy, that this is something that we should be thinking about beyond it, it, it be beyond just waiting for it to happen. So, um, so sorry, did you did we did we, did you just leap to the government should be regulating speech? It's a good question. It, I think it speaks to, to issues around like Citizens United. Um, I, th- I think that when it comes to – if you believe that the way these social media networks play out is winner-take-all and that this is a primary mechanism through which lots of people get their news and you have a concentration of news in the hands of, of one or two players versus historically where it's, it's, there's been a possibility for much more diversity, I think that's something that people should be thinking about. But the reality is that actually people have access to far more news sources than they ever did before. And again, for all the problems with the Facebook algorithm, which we can talk about, mm. the fact of the matter is there is no evidence – again, we're talking about the algorithm here, not mm-hmm. about this one mm-hmm. accusation about the news topics things. There's no evidence that there is uh, any overt bias, uh, and there is a lot of evidence that views, no matter how noxious they may be, are have no problem finding an audience on, on Facebook. Like, And you add on that the fact that, again, all the incentives work against this thing that you're worried about. And it, it like, I, I guess what, what baffles me about your position, again, we're, we're, I think we fundamentally disagree, so we should probably not dwell on this too much longer. But what baffles me about your position is, is you, you're making these logical leaps in a, in a couple of statements where now you're, you're at, at least in the arena of the government getting involved in regulating speech on the internet – for a private company when actually all the evidence and the in the structure of the way it works suggests that there are things to be concerned about but a private company exerting you know trying to exert that sort of thing is not necessarily one of them so so i i i accept that the evidence 
of the algorithm being tweaked to, I mean, there have been instances where it's happened, right? I'm not going to dwell on those. We've talked about them previously. Like I, what? Uh, uh, like the fact that they've experimented on users injecting different things in their feed and seeing the impact on it I, uh, from, from getting people to come out and vote, which again, shouldn't be a politicized issue, but it is a politicized issue where where certain sides of well certain elements certain elements in the uh in uh the in the United States have made it harder for people to vote because for for their own reasons they think that if it's harder for people to vote it's going to benefit them okay so so facebook so one uh those experiments were about what drives engagement like what what like which, which combination of posts it wasn't about a political viewpoint the voting thing also drove engagement um because it was prompting you to and it of and effectively mm-hmm. um three, I, I, sorry go ahead no go ahead no i i wasn't trying to make the case that um I wasn't trying to make the case that that was exactly evidence. I was just trying to make the case that it's possible. And it, it's overlaid with it's overlaid with a point of view. So for example, uh, so so uh, t- two things. It's it's uh, it's you mentioned convincing people to do it. Now, if we uh, if we accept uh, and I, I grant you it's their mission, they've been very open about their mission, but at the same time they've hired a whole lot of folks that are from Ivy League schools. And there was another post, and again, it, maybe it only got 60 upvotes on the Facebook internal news board, but the question was, should Facebook have a role in stopping Donald Trump? Now, I, I think that, the, the yes, there's a culture inside of Facebook and they talk about openness, but they're also talking about, like Zuckerberg got up and said at the most recent conference, his most recent, is it the, the most recent, recent Facebook conference that we're about connecting people and those people who talk about building walls we don't believe in that we think it's much more about we think it's much more about connecting people and bringing people closer together and that, that could be perceived as as a uh, as uh, uh, a subtle political statement that that may bias one way or another and then you get instances of people asking internally inside of Facebook should our job be to what role does Facebook have in stopping the rise of Donald Trump? Now, again, you notice, you notice here though you're you're building a case on a, a question and not on the answer. The answer was no, we would never do that. That goes against our principles as a company. I, I mean, I, I accept that. I accept that that's the answer that he gave right now. If you want to build your case on the question and and dismiss the answer that it oh that's fine for now but it like i mean because what's the alternative like what are you proposing should be done because the again we're we're dealing with a platform where people are self-selecting to use the platform no Mm -hmm. one is making them use facebook this is not censorship at the isp level where you're being restricted from seeing news you you have access to more news sources than ever before Mm -hmm. the reality is uh, alternative viewpoints, again, many quite noxious, are more widespread, are shared more easily than ever before, thanks to Facebook. All of the evidence is, is in one direction. And and I guess, again, so the, the alternative, so if there's just the fear that it could happen, which again, I agree, like the, the reality is Facebook has more power than than 
any other company ever. It's the reality. But if you if you're not going to trust in all the incentives and all the evidence lining up one side of the equation, just the, the, the fact it exists is enough for you, then what, what is your proposal to do instead? So I, I, that's a really good question. And I'm not necessarily sure that I have the answer. I guess what I'm trying to make the case for is that just because the evidence up until this point has suggested that that may not happen, it doesn't mean that it will continue in the future. And there are instances where Facebook has tried to push through things that have been uh, unpopular with with local populaces, and it's it's resulted in it's resulted in regulation. So I would point to the example of India, where um, Facebook. I, I I think that they they this is a good example where what they thought was where where the the tension between what lies in the best interests of folks or, or a general population and what lies in the best interests of Facebook was brought to light and I worry that uh, like India saw this coming and was able to regulate it in advance. I worry that if one of these social networks gets so powerful that they decide that they want to take out these noxious posts, they decide that someone is not in the interest of their business, or if if Zuckerberg and his control and the way he starts to think about the world starts to switch from focusing purely on the incentives of the business and starts to think about its his broader impact in the world that he could potentially change that. That's my and, concern. And, and, and also changes the mind of whatever number of people he has to, that he's spent his entire life and career telling the opposite to. Like, again, the guy can't just walk in and, and tweak the algorithm. I mean, this, this is a multi-billion dollar, a hundred of billion dollar company with all the controls and things that you would expect of such a thing. I mean, I guess the, the, what, what, I, what I don't understand about this argument is uh-huh. it, is in other debates you uh, talk about things like, like like capitalism and culture and all these things about a company that govern how they operate. And on this one topic, you seem to want to throw away everything that you argue in other cases for 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 I'm not sure what. Like again, without without any particular alternative in mind. Like if we can't if we can't trust incentives and if we can't trust like all these sorts of things and and evidence of everything to date and and the way that culture works like then let's back up and have a debate about should we even have capitalism like should we have like an open market of ideas like i mean i i i'm just i guess is why this debate always confuses me because it feels um i'm not sure what what you're proposing and it feels inconsistent uh, because I, so first of all, if I think it were to happen, I think it wouldn't be just like all of a sudden one day he walks in and it's, it's all just, it's, it's all completely radically changed. I think it would be, I think it would be more like a frog in boiling water where the change happened gradually. And he started talking about like, there are, I, I don't know, like I could, I could foresee a circumstance where we started talking about these noxious stories that that aren't based in truth, and we need to have things fact checked before they go. I I don't know. Like I, 
I don't know how it would happen, but I don't imagine it would happen. One day he walks in and he tells everyone, like, we're doing a complete 180. I think it would be slowly done. But I, I think that in the in the focus on incentives, I think that works and I think it explains a lot when you start talking about society, individuals en masse. It is a very effective system for getting people aligned on mass, but it doesn't explain everything, and it particularly doesn't explain the actions of people who have been very successful. It veers out of incentives and much more into the realm of motivations, and that's why people who have made lots of money don't necessarily act in a way that that seems entirely rational from a capitalist perspective. Oh, right, fair. I've I've over I've over indexed on the word incentives because I'm I'm also talking about motivations and culture, and all evidence is not is that one Zuckerberg's motivation is more openness and more sharing. But again, two, like (laughs) he has baked that into Facebook's culture. Like he can, one person cannot change this. Like even Mark Zuckerberg, it's like Steve jobs coming in and saying, actually, we're going to start, you know, we're going to start selling the OS and, and don't worry about quality. Just let's hit ship dates. Like, there would be such pushback against him by the culture he created and fostered that would be effectively impossible. And and you don't get to be a company the size and power of Facebook without inculcating an incredibly powerful culture that because success reinforces it. It it doubles down on it and and it leads to other sorts of mistakes as we've talked about many times, but what it doesn't lead to is you fundamentally changing everything you've stood for and done for the last 10 years. I, 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 I totally accept that. I wonder whether there's a way in which you can start to move more towards what I'm describing without it necessarily going completely, uh, completely, uh, that's uh, in, in, in a diametrically opposite way to the culture. So you start with something that lots of people agree on. You start with somebody who is, or you start with points of view that are openly racist. You start with points of view that are not promoting openness. You start with things that are consistent with the culture and then you introduce it and then you gradually turn it up from there. That's how I would approach it. And that's the way that companies are able to change their culture because it does change over time. And someone who does have as much control over that organization, he has complete control over the organization. He can fire the board and he has the 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 um, all the respect that is afforded of somebody who is a f- successful founder who's built one of the most successful organizations in the world. I think you're underestimating the ability for someone to start introducing that change should they so decide. So what would you propose? Because I, I, again, and you just you just did the you just did what you accused me of. Like you you said I was over indexing on incentives and Zuckerberg's rich and successful now, so that's not we're getting motivations again. Even though I think the motivations are the other way, like you can't turn around and say, well, he, you know, he's structured the board and his ownership percentage that he can do what he want. Well, yes, that's true, but there are more things that go into decision making than whoever owns fifty one percent of voting rights. Uh, like absolutely. I mean. I, I don't dispute that. I and your question around what to propose is a is a um, completely. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think we've been in a circumstance like this before. I think this is this is the one of the issues that we're increasingly going to face as we move from 
a world of scarcity into a world of abundance. It's like some of the, again, some of the stuff you've written about around how to regulate, um, how to regulate in winner take all markets. It's, it's, it's not something that I'm, I'm claiming to have all the answers on. I guess what I'm trying to drive at is that I, it makes me deeply uncomfortable that a company that control that, that has so many eyeballs on it and, uh, where people read their news and think this is the internet and and don't up until this point it hasn't really been a broad source of discussion around what goes into that algorithm and what determines what I see and what I don't people just don't think about it it concerns me that there is a possibility for abuse I and I have probably um, and I, I I hope I haven't annoyed you too much in trying to make the case that there's a possibility of abuse. I've uh, probably I've granted I've granted that from from the first from day one. Okay, like I agree, there's a possibility, but uh, again, like then what? Like yeah. my argument is that yes, there's a possibility. Fortunately, all the everything from culture to incentives to motivation to all these sorts of things suggests it won't happen. The evidence of this past week, I think, reinforces that by showing what a bad thing it is for Facebook if it does happen. And 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 so that's my position. And I, what I'm hearing from you is, um, nope, sorry, not good enough. But without any any alternative. So if you accept it's a possibility and you accept that there's a high impact of it happening, uh, high impact should it happen, I'm, I, I, I hear all your points as around the rationale for why it might not happen, and I think they're totally valid. I tried to make a counter case for why, uh, despite those things, I think there's a, still a possibility that they might happen. What we do about it, really good question. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think that airing the problem and airing how it might happen and the impact of it is like the first step in trying to figure that out, but I'm not claiming to have the answers. What I think is interesting is, again, none of this was about the algorithm, uh, uh, which is mm. newsfeed, which is where everyone looks at it. It's about this trending news thing, which, oh, the other th- and the other thing about the story that made it so dumb is like, no one looks at trending news. Like in mobile, you, do you, did you even know that it exists on mobile? I, I didn't I've, even... I, I've, I've only seen, ever seen it on the sidebar on the desktop. I know. I did. I so I thought it was only on desktop, but it, it turns out it is on mobile. It's if you go to the search, if you go to search, uh, yeah, 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 it's and there. it's got that little arrow, the up arrow thing, right? But the problem is, if you're in search, like we've talked about this in the context of Google and Facebook, you're you're focused, you're in a directed mindset, you're going somewhere, right? You're not going to go to search and get distracted by trending news of, about you know conservative suppression, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, and, and given the fact that the vast majority of Facebook interaction comes on mobile, like it, it wasn't even it wasn't even a a like the actual impact of this was was almost certainly minus, it, the actual impact of this if it in fact existed which is worth asking was actually like totally non-existent yeah i i i totally agree like i said i'm glad the debate came to light i am i i i think you're right like there is no evidence that this has happened systematically up until this point um uh, again, it's it's uh, from my perspective, and and this is how I would characterize it. It's it's uh, it, 
again, as I was thinking about this in terms of regulation and possibilities versus impact, it is more to me like, okay, let's not wait until something happens to have this conversation and figure out how to do it. Like if if there are instances of people that have become successfully, uh, immensely successful in this um, in this realm, behaving in a way that doesn't align with incentives. And that's why I brought Murdoch up because he does still run a whole bunch of newspapers that have a very strong point of view that don't necessarily make money. Um, like if it's a possibility, we should be talking about it and figuring it out. But in terms of the specific instances that you just raised, I completely agree. And I also completely grant you that there's no evidence that this has happened up until this point. Anyhow, yeah, I think we've covered the point that we're glad it came up. Um, but the, the thing what's interesting about the, the trending news box is the reason it exists is because Facebook was annoyed that Twitter was known as the place for, for live hmm. stuff and live events. And this was kind of their answer to that. And what, what's it, the, the reason that I find it interesting is – so that's why they hired this team. That's why they had all these, like these, you know, these folks that, that like the the entire team. And you've, there's all these articles about how what a terrible team it was to work on, and, and all there all this pressure, mm-hmm. and blah, blah blah blah. And no surprise because the very existence of this team and the very nature of their work was counter to what Facebook is, and what Facebook is about. Like, as I'm not surprised the working conditions were terrible and they were all miserable because they they were like. The, the culture of Facebook was such that it was almost implicitly reacting against the existence of this team in the first place. And that this is actually gets to my bigger concern about Facebook, I guess, as a business, mm. like their, their desire to their refusal to accept the, the very existence of, of anyone else. And we talked about this in the context of Snapchat and, and like, like them putting these sort of things and shoving these live videos to your, to your, to your feed and notifying you, which they turned off after a bunch of people got really annoyed by it. And in this case, like they were just bothered that Twitter had this reputation. And so they built this thing and this was a PR disaster that hurt the main business that was several years in the making. And it sprang from what I do think is a concern about Zuckerberg and his leadership is this like, insistence that facebook you know own all all social interactions and i like it's been the case for a long time that's not that's not going to happen they have a fantastic position that is not going anywhere again i've nothing that i've been on and i think people are finally realizing but this that's where they're getting themselves in trouble like this entire episode happened because of the decision to even create turning news in the first place which came from like Facebook in some respects, like they're super paranoid. And I think that that fuels the skepticism. They still get in the Valley because Facebook's like, Oh my God, original sharing's down. And like people are, and people, people have the bias that Facebook is doomed already. So they buy into every little bad piece of news that Facebook mm-hmm. comes out. Like they watch it. Oh, it's, it's dead. It's going down. This stream. I, I don't use it at all. Certainly it's doomed. And, uh, and, but I think one of Facebook's great qualities is paranoia. The, the fact that they're always, nervous they're always looking around to see what's well, what's it, good about business but it, it cuts both ways right and i i think it's 
you can, it's again, one of these recurring themes we've talked about, the strength also being the weakness. Like the, the weakness is when that creeps into the core product because then they start jamming things on like the live videos, like the trending news. And they have done a really bad job of trying to be paranoid, quote unquote, inside their core product and innovate around that stuff. Where it served them incredibly well has been uh that acquisitive nature, like the the way in which they've been paranoid around these companies popping up and buying them. And it's, I think where they run aground is where they see these threats and they, uh, they can't, or they, for whatever reason, don't buy them. So Snapchat and Twitter, and then they, instead of um, having it as a separate product, like WhatsApp or Instagram, they try and evolve the core product in some way. And that's where they end up in trouble. Right. No, that's what I was going to say. Is I mean, it's definitely a strength weakness sort of thing. And again, maybe why video it 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 is certainly very compelling in, in in the right context. I'm not saying it's a bad thing per se. I'm just like this this obsession with uh with with yeah, like having all of social. And you're right. The best way to address that is is acquisitions. Um, but anyhow, I just think it's it's interesting to point out that this entire like and this is a critique I've made of Facebook. This is, I made it after F eight. Like that that the the company will be stronger to the degree they can they can tolerate the existence of other companies. And this is a great example of that. This is an example of how overdoing it on your competition and becoming overly obsessed with it can hurt you. Because face this has hurt Facebook and. It's hurt them for a stupid product that no one looked at that may or may not have happened because they were obsessed. They were annoyed that Twitter got more attention than they did on this particular thing. And it, that is that's the concerning part of it from my perspective, for at least for Facebook as 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 a business. So the other thing that that happened uh, since we, now now that we've done last week's podcast and we're moving on to this week's podcast. <laughs> Uh, Google's event was this week, and it, I think something that that's interesting and with with Google is. You wrote an article uh, about something we talked about a couple weeks ago, like this mm. kind of big companies getting a, a, second, a second swing at things, mm. if that makes sense. It, it totally does. It, it, was, it was definitely that um, – I, I called it the blessing of failure. I, I, there's no denying that that was inspired in large part based on our conversations, and that's this notion that uh, – that, that it's like if if success sows the seeds of failure, like in the same way that Microsoft couldn't imagine a paradigm uh, beyond the PC uh, when it came to mobile. And what they tried to do is stuff the PC into a mobile form factor. And obviously that wasn't the right way of doing it. You needed to reimagine it. There's a inverse of that, which is in order to be able to reimagine the paradigm, you really need to have failed in the previous one in order to have that uh, blank sheet thinking in order to do this. And that's what Apple had working for them when they went into the iPhone relative to the Wintel um, the, uh, the, the alliance. Uh, the Mac hadn't done particularly well in the previous generation. They were doing fine at the time of the iPhone, but it certainly wasn't winning. And so that gave them the, the possibility of, of just blank slating the whole thing and they came up with the iPhone. And then I start to make the case, which we talked about previously, that Apple is now suffering the same thing in the transition to the watch. Yeah, uh, for sure. And what I think the other in- company to tie it to is, 
well, not just transition to watch, but also the transition, like like the HomeKit stuff and like mm. Apple TV and, and the the fact that it's so phone centric. Mm-hmm. When you know, I think what's interesting about, about the Echo is the idea that it, it the house is the one place where you don't always have your phone with you. Yeah, like right. it's, it's plugged in. It, the other company I think it's interesting to think about that though I, is, is Google. Mm. So they had their their I/O keynote yesterday, and you know a big folks for the company and Sudar Pichar wrote wrote the founders letter uh, about this that it's the future of the company really is AI and and the, and they're hugely ahead in machine learning. Uh, you know compared to anyone else. The problem is... Uh, ben, stop. You've got to stop. Your article today, or, or your your article where uh, you mentioned... I couldn't stop laughing, and I have to bring up this anecdote, <laughs> where, where, where Zuckerberg wrote the blog post about how Facebook was progressing in its efforts to, uh, to play Go, and that day Google just announced that their AI had beaten like a whole bunch of players. That... that that little vignette not only made me laugh, I like that to my mind, just put in a context how far in front they are um, of like a company like Facebook that has lots of data and lots of super smart people. But it just gave me a sense of uh, how far ahead they really are. Right. But the problem is which company's business prospects are better for the next 10 years. Uh, you won't get an argument from me around that. It's like it was it was a fantastic article. It's not just about technology. And this is one of the things that we've talked about so much. It's not just technology that wins. It's go to market. It's how you get there. And uh, th- they have such an engineer engineering problem first mentality, and they pay such short shrift to the some oftentimes the business side of things and uh, and the way and empathizing with people like it, like it. Uh, I didn't pay close attention, and I, I'd love to hear a little bit more of your take on the individual products. But it reminded me a lot of Google Plus, which uh, which was like, oh gosh, this social networking thing is a big thing. We better ship something like that, huh? Well, it's interesting on a few levels. Yes, I think the reason they miss social and the reason they miss all that stuff, it gets back to your article in some respects. Like they they understood the world from one point of view and they were going to miss the next one. It was amplified by the fact that their culture was not one that was going to foster a social network, mm. <laughs> to say the least. But you could say the same thing about Microsoft. Microsoft had an enterprise-focused culture, right? They didn't have a consumer mindset. Uh, Apple has a consumer culture. And that has helped them very well. But when you move into a services arena, like then it's different, right? Mm. Like, and, and it, it, this it actually is the tie into our Facebook discussion. Like, cultures don't transform like that on, on a dime. And the what's interesting about the Google thing is uh, for Google, I like this article was a bit pessimistic because they have this, I totally agree. I'm sure their technology is way ahead. I think they will give the echo run for the money. I do think the echo's hidden advantage is Amazon. I think is better and will be better at the third party stuff. Like Mm. they, like they just know how to foster an Mm -hmm. ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Whereas Google is still, Google wants to control Google's like in between Apple and, and uh, Google's like the Apple of services in that they have a services culture that they know how to iterate and build product, but they but they're very product focused. They want to do the whole widget. Where did and, I read that article by a Google insider just ranting about how Google is no good at doing this kind of thing, but Amazon has done this fantastic job of like if business units want to talk to each other, they can only do it over API calls. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was so he spent the first half of the article like dissing Amazon and saying. Uh. 
now that I've fulfilled everything that you think about Amazon, like here's the reality, like they're yeah. really good at this one thing. Right. Yeah, it was it was a, it was about Amazon Web Services. We'll put it in the show notes. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's awesome. Uh, People read it. It's really good. Right. So what? So the the fact of the matter is, Google has this great technology, but for the next X whatever, and yes, they have Android, and this is why Android was a good thing despite all the trouble it's caused them. Mm. Like they have, that's a place to manifest this and bring it in front of people. But in the short to medium term, their route to just getting in front of people, particularly on mobile is, is, is so limited. Like uh, you either have to use Android. So, which to be fair is very powerful. That's a whole lot of people all over the world, but it's missing like the, the 500 or 500, 700 million probably the richest customers, which again, Google deserves a lot of credit and we should acknowledge this more for the way they brought computing to the masses. But as far as a business, mm. like that's less, that's not as ideal. And then yep. people don't live there, right? You, to get to Google, you have to go to Google and that's always been their model. And that's not how things work on mobile generally, but you could see a scenario absolutely where, because you know, the I almost feel like this article is part two of the everything as a service article I wrote two weeks ago. Like Google is set up to perhaps not succeed, like to view mobile almost as a as a miss. Yes, they got Android, but they never like they still make the vast majority of their money mm-hmm. on the desktop. Mm-hmm. Like it, as from a business perspective, mobile has not been a great thing for Google. But the next. The future, when we move on, when we're, we're the piece of glass isn't the key interface. When it is the headset, or it is the the earpiece, or it is this sort of ambient interaction with the cloud. And again, this is why probably the most interesting Google product is the one for the home, even though it's it's late. There, they can their advantages come to the forefront again. And so, I would like Google as like a twenty year play, but as like a five ten, five year play, I'm a little. Or maybe it was, I like him as a ten-year play, as a five-year play. I'm a little, you know, it might, might not be as good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I uh, I think that makes total sense. The the um the the other. I mean, the other thing that I wonder about is if they get far enough ahead in AI, whether rather than go directly to consumers, they start actually start partnering with other organizations to provide expertise in AI, and they actually rather than become more of a consumer-focused service, they actually pivot to becoming more of a business focus so you know what what they should do and they just probably don't have it within them culturally to do it but it it would be brilliant uh they should they should make facebook bots yeah like and they should enable it for third-party developers to to interact with it and they Mm -hmm. should have their own on there and they should say fine facebook we will grant that people live in your apps and we are going to worm inside yeah and and do what we want to do there like this is it's this is similar to the the transformation that Microsoft has gone through yes, where exactly. it used to be very Windows centric and now the recognition is like Windows as a platform is doomed. This is an equivalent almost around like the desktop web is doomed and now where people live are in mobile apps and no more mobile app than Facebook and then okay Go in there and help people in there and, and leverage your expertise in that. I think that's a fantastic insight. I know it is the Microsoft analogy. You, you just made it. Like Microsoft is 
in the right now because they realize that iOS is just a platform on which they can put their services. Mm-hmm. And they're building up a whole ecosystem from, from developer services to the to enterprise services to, to, to all those sorts of things, and which is exactly right. The only problem is they're five years too late, and, and they've – they're far, much farther behind. Have a much more difficult path than they would have if they had done what was strategically obviously the right thing to do. But this is again, it making decisions and doing the right thing is so much more than just doing the right thing. You have mm-hmm. to actually like the culture. You have to get the buy-in. You have to get people to see, to even to even countenance the possibility. In the case of Microsoft, they had to ship out Palmer. Like he yeah, could not right. envision a world where Windows was not at the center, even yes. though Balmer was saying that Windows is the center of our strategy at a time when every outside observer had concluded that it was ir- irrelevant. Like that's how that's how powerful the blinders are when you're inside an organization. And I suspect it'll be the same thing with with Google. Yeah. Well, uh, it it'll be interesting to watch it play out. I mean, I the 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 uh the 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 uh, the way to change a culture or what provides you an opening is something of a crisis and focusing so heavily on windows being the thing and people seeing what was happening to windows relative to what was happening to mobile probably provoked a crisis that enabled an opening for change and google may indeed go through this same thing around making money on the desktop web like it's relatively speaking it's if not in decline which i think it is it's definitely going to be eclipsed by mobile and that may in turn provide that cultural opening for for this evolution to take place but it's it's hard it's not easy yeah, I mean, I mean, Google's search queries on mobile have have, have surpassed desktop for a while. Just to be, just I mean, just to clarify before we get the emails, uh, but their revenue, which they don't break out explicitly, they used to, and then they stopped. But uh, it's pretty much without dispute that their revenue is still heavily weighted towards the desktop. You know, I just want to get that yes. clarification. Yeah, yeah, point totally. The, the, yes, yes. It's so. Uh, it's, yeah, it just it, it it's telling it's telling that you know the there's absolutely a correlation as you would expect between the companies that have the power and like their like the fact that Google can't earn as much on their mobile ads and the fact that Facebook can make more on their mobile ads than they did on the desktop and that these go in opposite directions Facebook's increasing their prices Google's prices are going down like the business model it it always fits the strategy like in that that's that's I mean, it sounds obvious, but like there is actual like tan- tangible financial evidence of my point, which is less controversial now, perhaps more controversial a couple of years ago, that Facebook is just far better positioned in this new world than than Google is. Yeah, I and and credit to them because like when it started out and they were they were playing around with. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, mobile HTML as opposed to native apps and whatever. It did not look like, that, and they were much more focused on the desktop web. It did not look like they were going to make that transition well, and they turned on a dime. Yeah, they were still, they were still like to our tree analogy. They were still young enough that they weren't like so rigid that they couldn't that they couldn't couldn't pivot. Yeah, and they did a phenomenal job in doing so. All right. Well, uh, we we. Uh, m- 
we may have uh, wounded each other, but we did not kill each other. So I think yeah, we're making I, progress. This is progress, right? Like I could, t- I could tell I exasperated you a couple of times, but neither of us went off the hook. So good, good job us talking about the the the, <laughs> the the ongoing thing that we disagree about without getting too crazy about it. Sounds good. All right, uh, I will. Uh, sorry again about last week, but uh, we should, I think, be back next week. So I will talk to you then. Sounds good, mate. See you later. Yeah. Bye bye.